Hey, good morning, everybody. Uh, those of you who are online, glad you're here too. A couple years ago, I had a really weird conversation with uh, the man who was the dean of, of the chapel at the seminary, uh, Asbury Seminary. And um, I, don't, I don't remember how it came up. I, I don't even remember the context of the conversation because I didn't, um, I didn't talk to him on a, like a regular basis. But we were in the middle of a conversation, and he told me, he told me this, <clears throat> never forget it. He says, I feel like part of my role is to be a fun- funeral director. It's kind of odd when the dean of the chapel says that he's going to be a funeral director, right? I mean, it's just kind of this odd thing. And he, he kind of clarified it, and he goes, you know, maybe like an undertaker. <laughs> and I'm like, so, kind of being me, I had to ask him. I'm like, okay, you got to explain that. You know, what, what does that mean? And he said, um, he says, I feel like I'm supposed to be here for people when they die to themselves. And that one really stuck with me for a while. <clears throat> I'm going to come back to that. Um, that story here in a minute. We're in the part of the church calendar called Lent. And Lent is a time or a season of reflection, of confession, of repentance. And I, I, I just find it really interesting that the Asbury outpouring came with confession and repentance and reflection right before the Lenten season, and oh, by the way, the same thing happened at the same time 50 years ago in 1970. And it's it's almost like the the Lord is like poking a little bit. You know, he's going, you know, I'm trying to explain something here to you. (laughs) I show up every 50 years or so so that you, you get what I'm talking about, whatever. But it's an interesting thought is that here was an outpouring that was marked very specifically by this idea of con- confession and repentance from a group of college students, and that's really what this season is, is ultimately all about. <clears throat> it also seems to me that um, Lent is very different than the other part of the church calendar that we typically you know, associate with in you know, a time of year, and that's, that's Christmas time, you know, Advent. Christmas itself is much more external, right? I mean, we, uh, we buy gifts for other people. Um, we, you know, put lights on our house to be festive. We wear ugly sweaters, <laughs> you know? I'm not sure who that's for. But the point is, it's a very external kind of, of thing where, you know, everyone's enjoying, you know, the season and, and there's, you know, the music we like. And, and there are, you notice there's no Easter, Easter carols? You know, there's Christmas carols, and, and we, we enjoy that part of the year. And it's, like I said, it's very external. Lent, on the other hand, is very internal. It's that idea of reflection. It's an introspection where we, where we kind of pause, and we, we say to ourselves, and we say to God, hey, where are we? God, when it comes to me and you, where, where are we here? Because we're going to come up on the highest, holiest day of the year, the celebration of the resurrection and what it all means to me. Lord, where am I with you? Where am I with 
our relationship? Where are you in relationship to me? How do I understand all that? That's, that's Lent. So we got 40 days before Easter where we spend time. And interestingly, we only spend four weeks in Advent. So which one do you think might be more important? I don't know. But it's very internal type of thing. So Christmas is for the extroverts, but the Lord's got you introverts. Lent's for you, okay? So look, here's the best part. It doesn't matter if you're introverted or extroverted. Jesus loves you, and he's got a season just for you. So lean into that. Those of you who are introverted, this one's, this one's really about you. Lent's also one of those seasons um, associated with sacrifice, because obviously when we talk about the, the death and resurrection of Jesus, we're talking about sacrifice. And, and so <clears throat> we tend to, uh, I don't know, give stuff up at Lent, right? Um, everything from, you know, chocolate <laughs> or, you know, other things. I remember several years ago, um, the I kept getting headaches, um, and I was drinking a lot of. I drank a lot. I drank a lot of coffee, okay. And and my wife pointed out to me that maybe I was getting headaches because the Lord was trying to tell me that I needed to go off coffee. Well, that couldn't possibly be the case. <clears throat> Funny how the voice of Jesus sounds a lot like Lisa Trelor from time to time, and and so I. I remember quitting coffee, and all of a sudden the headaches went away. Your mileage may be different, and you may have other things that you're kind of attached to. And Normally speaking, what we try to do is we give up those things that are associated with, I guess I'll call it pleasure, things that we enjoy like that. Um, and I always found it really kind of funny that at the start of, of Lent, which is Ash Wednesday, the day before, we call it Fat Tuesday. And in some parts of the world, they celebrate this thing called carnival. And carnival comes from the Latin term carnevale, which means saying goodbye to flesh. So let me get this straight. We're going to spend 40 days of, of kind of um, fasting and prayer and sacrifice and uh, introspection and confession. So let's get it all out of our system the day before it starts, apparently. Not sure how that works. But it but it is. It's the season that, you know, in a lot of a lot of the world, you know, we we celebrate and then we move into this this period of of I guess I'll call it reflection, of introspection. And, and I've noticed this over the years is that people, you know, give up things that they like. I remember I had this um, uh, w- woman that I worked with. Uh, years ago, and she told me that she was giving up chocolate for Lent, and and that I just didn't understand how much she loved chocolate. She was very intense, and I'm like, did you just have some? Because you're a little wired. I wondered. And uh, heaven forbid you ever have the chocolate cover espresso beans. Oh, those are so good, let me tell you. It's like, take that cup of coffee and put it in a little pill form and give it to David. Mm-mm, don't. Yeah, you'll see stuff. Pretty sure I heard colors for a while. It was kind of like that. Just kidding. But we do. We get. We give up stuff that we kind of like. I mean, we, you know, we 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 find those pleasurable things, and we think that okay, well, maybe I'll give this up as kind of a sacrifice. And 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 I get all that. I I think that's that's okay. 
But I've been, been thinking about this for, for a little bit, and, and I know I've talked about this in the past before, but I, I, I just kind of wonder, what would happen if instead of you know, giving up kind of those pleasurable things, if we deliberately, intentionally, specifically tried to give up the stuff that we know isn't good for us, that we know holds us back, that we know keeps us from connecting to God more and more regularly. What would happen if we, we had the courage to identify that kind of stuff and said, Lord, I want to sacrifice that? It's a different approach, isn't it? Because we're not talking about, you know, the things that make me feel good, but rather the things that make me feel lousy, things that maybe I, I don't, don't realize. And, and maybe what we would do is we would give up not just the stuff that was bad for us, but we would give up the stuff that we know God doesn't want for us. Things like shame and anxiety pain, limitations. What happens if we give that stuff up? Why, why is it more important to give up things that are supposedly pleasurable when all of us carry a whole bunch of baggage that keeps holding us back from everything that God wants us to be? Are you tracking with me? I wonder what that would be like. I wonder what that kind of freedom. And so we, we decided we we're going to do this series called Quitters Win. Now look, I understand that, you know, you can't quit the good stuff. I, I, I'm with you. But what if we quit the junk that holds us back, that keeps us from, from going, it doesn't even have to be the finish line, it keeps us from going one more step. You know, I, I think the, the number one thing that makes human beings the happiest is progress is when we're actually working towards something and we, we, we see some type of, of progress. It doesn't even have to be um, major progress. It can be incremental. And, and there's a certain part of us that are just satisfied, like, okay, I, I, I am moving forward. Well, how are you going to move forward if you've got all this junk that's holding you down or holding you back or it's just so heavy to carry? And aren't you tired of holding on to all of it? So in, in this series, it's quitters win and the kinds of things that, that we're going to quit for Lent. Look, you want to pick it up after Easter? That's your business. I don't think you have to. But what if we paused and we just said, look, I know there's some stuff that I am carrying with me and I need to let it go. So back to the funeral director story. I'm here to help people when they die to themselves. Now, there's a lot of places in the scripture that talks about dying to the self. Um, since this is the first Sunday of the month and, and um, it's Family Sunday, I want to try to keep this a little bit lighter, but I just find it really interesting that that there are places in the text where it talks about this idea of, of, of dying to the self in some way, shape, or form. And, and probably the one who writes about it at, at length is, is, the, is the New Testament writer Paul. 
you know, he's the one who wrote all those letters. And in those letters, he talks about this from time to time in a different context. And then there's two passages um, that I want to I focus on, just kind of for time. Now, there's, there's lots of other references, and if you want them, I'm happy to pass them, pass them to you. But there's two in particular, and it, they both occur in one book. And so it's a book of Galatians. If you have a Bible or Bible app, you might want to punch in Galatians chapter 2. That's where I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start. Galatians chapter 2. And, and while, you're, while you're trying to find that in your Bible, um, Galatians is one of the earlier books that Paul wrote, uh, early letters. It was uh, written to a group of churches um, that were in different cities in modern-day Turkey. Okay, um, So you would have either a house church or you would have a small assembly of people, and Paul would send a letter, and then by messenger they would kind of share this. And so it's early on in Paul's letter-writing career, so it's, a, um, it's not necessarily as highly developed as, say, like Romans or one of the later books that he wrote, but there's still a, a, a beauty to the rawness of it, because these are churches that he helped found. He's a vested interest in them, and there are things that he wants them to know. There's things that he wants to correct, and, and there's, there's just a, a beautiful sort of rawness to that particular book. Um, I, I highly recommend that you read it. Um, there's a lot of Jewish uh, components to it as well. But at, in Galatians chapter 2, he, he makes a, um, a comment here that I, I want to read. Uh, let's see if I can find it. There we go. Galatians chapter 2. I'm going to be in verse, uh, let's see. I was thinking. Let's do uh, verse 20 here. Chapter 2, verse Verse 20. <clears throat> Paul writes, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Uh, I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, through the works that I do, he means, Christ died for nothing. Focus on this, this particular point here. It says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ who lives in me. This kind of reminds me a little bit, of, a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about the difference between Resurrection Sunday and Pentecost Sunday. This very much is Resurrection Sunday. This is when I become a follower of Jesus, the Spirit is in me, right? It is, it is in me. And, and that's kind of what we see here is that in this notion of being um, a follower of Jesus, we are crucified with him. Um, having followed Jesus, we now identify with him and his death. This might be a little hard to wrap your mind around, but, but stick with me here. Christ then lives in us because his Holy Spirit is in us. So in Galatians 2, he's very clear. He goes, I'm, I'm no longer alive. And, and for Paul, this is a dramatic story. Remember, Paul's the one who went and hunted Christians put him in jail, probably had them killed. If he didn't have them killed directly, he certainly applauded when they died. 
He's no longer that person. Now he is Christ who lives in me. You want to talk about repentance. Woo, 180 degree turn in a very opposite direction. Just powerful when you think about it. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. There's an identity statement there. I'm not that person. This is the person I am now, okay? So Galatians chapter two, we've got this, this notion of being crucified with Christ, of, of dying. But I want you to go now to Galatians chapter five. So move over to Galatians chapter five. And we're going to look at, uh, I think we're going to do 24, but hold on, let's see. Let's pick this up. No, let's do this. I'm going to pick, the, pick it up in Galatians 5, uh, 22, because this will be a verse that's familiar to you. Uh, he says, but the fruit of the Spirit, remember those, is love, joy, peace, patience, which nobody ever pays, prays for, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Again, something we don't ever pray for, but that's the fruit of the Spirit. And then he says, against such things there is no law. Now notice what it says there in, in verse 24. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, remember, Christ lived in me. So if we live by the Spirit, let us not become uh, sorry, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. So he, he lists out, here's the fruit of the Spirit. If the Spirit of God is in you, these are the things that you should begin to see. And, and frankly, if you don't see those things, you probably ought to check in with Jesus about them, okay? So there's that. But then he makes this comment that what we've done then is taken our own sinful desires, our own passions, and we have crucified them. Now notice that the the imagery is the same in chapter 2 as it is in chapter 5. It's about crucifixion, which is a horrible thing. I mean, you want to talk about man's inhumanity at its absolute worst is right there. Idea of crucifixion. And I think Paul pulls this I think Paul pulls on this this thread very deliberately. Because in Galatians 2, when we're crucified with Christ, that's something that happens to us when we follow Jesus. But in Galatians chapter 5, to crucify the flesh is something we do. You see the difference? It's not something that just happens to you. It's something that you have to do. It's something that is part and parcel of of being a Christian, of being a follower of Jesus. It's not our identity. That sinful nature is not our identity. There's this new one, this one that's part of Christ. Remember, God didn't make, Jesus didn't come to make you better, he came to make you new, right? A new creation, a new person. And so that part of you is no longer is no longer part of your identity, and so you have to crucify it. And, and again, uh, another scholar pointed this out, and I think it was, was really, really quite powerful. Um, he's borrowing this crucifixion language for a reason. He's using it because it is so decisive. Now, crucifixion may take a little bit of time to kill 
uh, an individual, but there's no way that person's coming off the cross alive. And so he's using it very deliberately here. And I think, I think there's something there. So in Galatians 2, we're crucified with Christ. It's something that's done to us. But in Galatians 5, we are doing the crucifying. While we are in Christ and the Holy Spirit is in us, we still have to deal with those things that bring us down, those things that break relationship with God. And that's really what sin is. Sin is when we erect a barrier between us and God. That's why God hates it so much. You know, some people will say this, like, oh, God's holy and he can't stand sin. Yes, that's true. But why? Because it breaks relationship. And God hates sin because it puts a barrier between us and him. And that's not what he wants. That's not what he wants for humanity. He can't help but hate it because it breaks relationship with him. And so when we, when we take our sinful desires and, and those passions, those things that bring us down, those things that, that create those barriers between us and God, we actually have to take an active role, a willful act. It's not passive, and we have to nail them up on that cross. So what does it all mean? <clears throat> I believe that, like I said, Paul is borrowing this imagery. In fact, I think he actually is borrowing from the words of Jesus, uh, in my mind. In Luke chapter 9, there's something. Uh, you don't have to go there. Let me just read this to you. Luke chapter 9, mm, I think it's verse 23. Yep, there it is. <clears throat> Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Why would you have to take up a cross? Remember, this is Luke chapter 9. He doesn't die till much later in the book, right? So crucifixion isn't necessarily something that's being talked about. It's just this thing that everybody is aware of. And so he borrows that imagery. And I think Paul borrows from Jesus this idea that we have to do this thing daily. Um, one, of the, one of the scholars that, that I, I, I like to read from time to time, especially on Galatians, um, he said, not only are we supposed to pick up our cross and walk with it on a daily basis, rather it's that plus we have to see through the execution of the stuff that holds us back. Does that make sense? Not only are you supposed to pick up your cross and walk with it, but you need to stand there and crucify your flesh and stay there until it's dead. It's a really powerful statement that this, this one particular scholar, I think, I think, makes. So Paul's idea of repentance is one that is utter and it's final. It's like death on a cross. There's no coming back from that. And so we completely turn away from sin and selfishness. It, it's grisly, but I think it underscores the seriousness that Paul is talking about this idea of self and selfishness because all sin is rooted in selfishness at some level. All of it. When we choose our way other than what we know to be, sounds cliche, but God's way. The point is, is that we're choosing something other, other than God. 
And so the idea is we have to see that execution all the way through. We've got to um, keep it up on that cross and quit taking it down. And I think that's what happens oftentimes is that, you know, look, crucifixion is painful. If you have ever had a habit or an addiction or something that you know that isn't good for you and you know that you have to to do something different, that you have to let go of that, there's a part of you that will find that incredibly painful because it's been a part of you for so long. And here in the text, it's like, no, this is something that you have to crucify. You gotta make sure that it stays up there. Remember, when Jesus was put up on the cross with the two thieves, there were soldiers standing around. They weren't there for the fun of it. They were there to make sure that nobody else would, would take those, those bodies down, that they would, they would eventually die. And so it is with us, and so it is with the sin that we have. Is it, you know, we need to follow through on those kinds of things. Now, back to this idea of a funeral director. So what I want to do today is I want to play the funeral director myself. Because this is Family Sunday, we do communion. And in communion, we deal with the body and blood of Jesus, which is really a picture of, of the crucifixion and what he did on the cross. But I want to invite you to die to yourself. And that doesn't mean, um, you know, that you give up everything, but rather you give up everything to the service of the king. There's all kinds of things about you. There are good things that he put in you. There are bad things that the world has, has dealt you and you deal with it all. And like Dan said earlier, he wants all of it, even the nasty stuff. And so to die to yourself really is to start by, by saying, God, here, here, here I am. the good, the bad, and the ugly, and it's yours. What do you want to do with it? Who do you want me to be? That's dying to the self. And to deal with that selfishness and to deal with that sin and put it up on the cross and saying, yes, I'm crucified with you and I am putting this nonsense up that I don't need anymore. And here's the reason why I think now's a good time to do this. Because as we go through the various topics over the next couple of weeks, those things that we ought to be getting rid of, I gotta be honest, I'm not sure that you can actually get rid of them if you don't deal with some of the issues in yourself first. If you're not willing to surrender yourself completely, utterly, totally, decisively back to God. I, I'm, I'm not sure that we're capable of doing the rest on our own. Does this make sense? You want to deal with anxiety. You want to deal with anger. You want to deal with your addictions. If you want to deal with whatever it happens to be, it doesn't matter. But if you don't deal with the self first and realize that your flesh, your body has different ideas about your life than God does, then you're going to have, you're going to have a lot of battles. And I'm going to tell you that I know this not because of theory or some academic work. I experienced that too, just like everybody else. And I find that my, 
that my own life is very often about dying to myself daily, right? Picking up my cross daily, making sure that I'm doing it with daily. In fact, um, some of you have, may have seen this, but I have a, I have a bracelet that I wear. It says the, has the word journeyman on it. And I consider myself a journeyman because journeyman comes from the French word journey, which means day. It's a day laborer. And that day laborer gets paid at the end of every day. And that's my discipleship. This is a daily task for me. It's not a week thing where, you know, oh yeah, he goes and he studies and then he comes and he preaches. No, 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 I'm trying to follow Jesus like everybody else during the rest of the week. And yeah, I got my stuff too. And, and it's a daily thing. I get up in the morning and, and sometimes, sometimes like everyone else, I don't wake up in the best mood. Sometimes I wake up and I forget that there are three other people in my house. And I'm a lot more interested in what I want to do than what they want to do. And that's when the selfishness has to go up on the cross. It needs to stay there. Because that's not the life that God called me to. And again, for the 1,000th time, I don't want to miss out on anything that God has in mind. I don't want to miss out. I want to see all of that. I want to see what God has in mind. And so we're going to take communion together. And as you listen to the, the song, and you take the, the bread and you take the juice, at some point in there, understand what that represents. It's the crucifixion for you, that you've been crucified with Christ. Therefore, you have a new identity as an adopted son or daughter of the living God who loves you so deeply. That's your new identity. And if that's your new identity, you don't want the junk that keeps you from him. You don't want it. And so be willing to say, Lord, I want to I I figure out how to die to myself here. And you know what? You can, you can even say to him, you can even say to him, I don't know how to do that. He doesn't mind. He's perfectly willing and able to grab you by the hand and walk you through that. So I don't know what it means for you. And if you're a little terrified, I, I get that. I understand that. But really it comes down to saying, what do you want, God, if you put all of this good in me, what do you want back from me? What have you invested into me that you want to see a return on? What is it that you put in? What is it that you want out? Because ultimately, if you're the source of all good things, then I want to bring it right back to you to continue that blessing on other people around me. And I don't want the junk that holds us all back. I don't want it. I don't want it. John Wesley called this holiness. And so when we take the cup, and we take the bread, and we ingest it, we are ultimately asking God for his holiness. To clean out all the stuff that we don't need. Let's pray. Lord,
sometimes I don't have the words. to express these deep things that you, you try to point out to all of us. That the idea of dying to ourselves is so that love can take its place. How on earth can we love God and love others when we don't really even understand what holds us back from those things? Lord, I, I just realize in my own heart that I, I hunger for you and that when I keep those things that are, are not good for me, I'm trying to fill myself with fast food that doesn't actually provide any type of benefit or nourishment or any of it. And I want to hunger for you more and more. When I feel the presence of your spirit in the room, I want more of that. And so God, for every person that's gathered here, my prayer is that as we take communion, that we actually commune with you, that we recognize that you have good things in mind for all of us because you're a good father. And that you simply want us to surrender those parts of ourselves. Well, you want us to surrender all of ourselves, but at least start with the things that are not good for us. The things that create barriers between you and us. And you can't stand that. I don't want to stand that either. So as we do this today, Lord, I pray that um, you would be present in each one of the elements, that you'd be present in the room with us, and that you would speak to every heart in the way that only you can, and that we would hear you. Thrive Church, we have what's called an open table. That means that um, the elements are for you if you are a follower of Jesus. I invite you to do that, this really simple little ritual that connects us not only back to Jesus and his disciples, but also to other Christians around the world, because there are a lot of them who are doing this very same thing today. And this idea of communing with God has been so part of the DNA of Christianity uh, that we dare not forget it that when you take those elements, you realize what's actually happening. And I do pray that uh, that is something that you'll experience in a powerful way. On the night in which he was betrayed, Jesus took um, bread that was on the table, so common. And he, he broke it, or he blessed it, then he broke it, and then he passed it to his disciples, and he said, take and eat. And, and, and then every time you do, I want you to remember me. Remember me. Remember this moment. Remember. 
Of course they didn't understand. They couldn't have understood at that time. And then after the supper, he takes the cup. He does the same thing. He blesses it and he passes out. And he says, every time you take this, I want you to remember me. Body and blood. They, how, how could they have understood that? But can you imagine that moment when they did understand it and the light kind of done? Oh, this is what he was talking about. My prayer for you today is that as you are taking the bread and the cup, oh God, that you would have that same aha moment. Oh, this is what he meant. Yeah, he's for you. It's not that he's trying to keep you from doing the things that are pleasurable like eating chocolate, but rather he's calling you into a deeper relationship with himself, one that's devoid of all of those things that you so desperately try to hide. And those things that you try to stuff down because they're so painful, you don't want to deal with them anymore. And God's saying, hey, how about we don't stuff them? Let's heal them and let me help you. So Lord, as we take these elements, I give them over to you as a tool for your spirit to work. Humbly submitting to your spirit because this is your church. You get to decide the things that go on here. And my prayer is that we would deeply, deeply connect with you in the most fundamental of ways. And I'm going to thank you in advance for what you're going to do today and the rest of this Lenten season. In Jesus' name, amen.